Hey, how you doing? My name is Nolan. I'm from Past Gas by Donut Media. We are the world's number one automotive podcast. That's right. We're a storytelling show. This week, it's part three of our history of Mazda. Last week, we talked about the rotary engine and how they started a little bit of racing. This week, they got a lot more serious with it. They needed to make a big splash in the world stage. They decided to go to Le Mans over there in France and prove that they could keep up with the Europeans and the Americans. They did have a hard time with it, though. It's very intriguing. The rotary engine we talked about last week had some challenges. This is for the real Mazda heads and anybody who's curious about automotive history in general. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Pass gas. I'll see you there. On November 7th, 2021, Vin Diesel, the executive producer and star of the Fast and Furious franchise, decided to post a public message on Instagram to the biggest action star in the world, Dwayne Johnson. Drain to rock. (laughs) Johnson and Diesel had been fighting for years, both on and off set. They also loved to make snarky comments about each other in interviews or say cryptic things on social media. But for a while, it seemed like they had let bygones be bygones. Yet, with the 10th iteration of the franchise about to start production, Diesel decided to create some waves. Legacy awaits. I told you years ago that I was going to fulfill my promise to Pablo. I swore that we would reach and manifest the best fest in the finale that is 10. I say this out of love, but you must show up. Do not leave the franchise idle. Idle is a car term, and the (laughs) movies are about cars. I love you, Drain the Rock. Don't park on this franchise. <laughs> Don't park in the red on this franchise. Let's pull it into the driveway together. The Instagram post went viral, and the internet waited to find out exactly how Johnson would respond. Let's tune up our relationship. Can Listen, the- let's change the oil on a, on a different thing <laughs> and fill up the tank with getting along. <laughs> Can the Fast and Furious franchise find an identity before it's too late? As the franchise shifts genres and gears, how does it keep the cars involved? What is the future for Brian O'Connor after Paul Walker tragically passes away? And is it possible for a car to drive out of an airplane and land safely before the plane crashes? Today on Pass Gas, the second of our two-part series on the Fast and Furious franchise. Two, 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 pass, two, gas, baby. That's right. Uh, it's this, a sequel. This episode of Past Gas is directed by John Singleton. Hey. Uh, everyone say hi to John. <laughs> What's, What's up, up John? Dude? How you doing? Uh, welcome back to the show, everybody. Hope you're doing well this week. Yes, it's our part two. Hopefully you listened last week. We covered the beginnings That's of right. the Fast and the Furious franchise. Uh, started as a uh, magazine article in magazine Vibe article. magazine. It was originally set in New York. It's going to have kids shooting each other. You're going to have yeah. kids shooting each other. Then, and then uh, they changed that up because yeah, of they, Columbine. They changed it up, and then they knowingly ripped off Point Break. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got John Singleton to direct a sequel. He, uh-huh. he pushed for it. Yes. He wanted to do it. Then Universal decided to stiff Vin Diesel and Paul Walker. Did not give them, they did not want them back. They did not want to pay them the money that they rightfully earned for the yeah. third movie. So they had Justin Lin come in, direct it. And cast some nobodies to play in it, and yeah. it did terrible. So I wouldn't it, say Bow Wow was a nobody at this point. Yeah. Okay, and it's not a bad movie. You know, like there was some shady stuff going on with the studio, but there always is. And uh, but I think Tokyo Drift is a good movie, and it's when Justin Lin comes on board. And the Fast and the Furious franchise, as we know it, does not exist without Justin that's Lin. True. And that's where we are starting today. Yes, we are. Uh, when the Fast and Furious goes from a collection of three movies to the juggernaut uh, film franchise that we know of today. The 10-movie saga of the best characters in cinematic history. But before we get into that, let me introduce the show. My name is Nolan Sykes. I'm joined by my co-hosts. You just heard him on the mic, James Pumphrey. I'm changing my last name. To what? Reptile. James Reptile. All right. Jimmy Reps. <laughs> and we got Joe Weber across from me. How are you, Joe? I'm great. How's the Wink Wink Nation doing? 
I think they're I doing can't great. Hear you. <laughs> uh, and yes, uh, James let- Batshit Reptile. Okay, good <laughs> stuff. Name. Okay, Reptile. One of the best Mortal Kombat characters, by the way. Reptile. Kind of that had nothing to do with the, my decision. <laughs> if Universal was surprised by the improbable success of the Fast and Furious's first two movies, the execs were equally as surprised by the third film's troubling downturn. This meant one thing. It was time to rethink everything. Kind of crazy that they're like, let's just keep going with it, though, right? <laughs> From the Fast and Furious franchise inception, the studio believed that the stars of the film ultimately were the cars. But what if they weren't? The last movie, Tokyo Drift, took the deepest dive into the nuances of street racing culture. Yet, it was the least successful. So if the cars weren't actually the reason people bought tickets, then what was? It's almost as if we should value human life. (laughs) (laughs) After Tokyo Drift, the studio and the creators used modern data analytics and screen testing to narrow down exactly what the audience liked in order to shape the franchise accordingly. (laughs) Here's what they discovered. I just imagine they're looking at like the worst like old CGI graphics on a computer and it's doing all these calculations and then just like boobs pop up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's what it is. (laughs) First, car culture worked best as a background player and not the lead. Second, audiences loved the exciting action sequences with stunts and explosions. And third, the cool, multicultural cast was a massive draw both in and outside of America. People loved seeing actors that looked like them, bringing authenticity to the world that they see every day. There was one more major component that audiences overwhelmingly loved. Joe? Vin Diesel. It's hard to blame them. His, I thought you were going to say boobs. Oh. Uh, it's hard Ooh, to blame them. Boobs. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to blame them. His performance won't draw any comparisons to Denzel Washington or Meryl Streep. <laughs> It'd be weird if they, they did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, who's, who's the goat? Meryl Streep or Vin Diesel? <laughs> <laughs> Dude. Uh, yeah, it's either like we were going to go with either Vin Diesel or Kate Blanchett. <laughs> But Diesel's older brother charisma fits perfectly into the role of Dom Toretto. Essentially, what Universal realized was there was only one direction they could go with the saga after making an errant turn. (laughs) And that's throwing it into reverse. Oh, damn, dude. You did it. Technically, there was never a true sequel to the original movie. The second film just followed Paul Walker's character Brian O'Connor to Miami. So the producer, yeah, I guess that is kind of like a spinoff in that way. So the producers decided to shoot a pseudo-sequel to the original Fast and Furious. They'd reintroduced the original cast dynamic and kind of hoped that nobody even remembered Tokyo Drift. I like Tokyo Drift a lot. Yeah, it's a good one. It was easy to get the original cast back now that the franchise had an $85 million How? budget to entice them. On top of reprising his acting role, Vin Diesel negotiated a new title as executive producer. I want to be above the line. <laughs> this was a smart decision that would soon make him worth more than actual diesel. Fuel. Fuel. <laughs> <laughs> Despite the issues with Tokyo Drift, Universal decided to keep writer Chris Morgan and director Justin Lin on board. The two fully bought into the new direction, especially the action sequence part. Action was more their area of expertise anyway. But even with all the analytics driving the narrative, building trust with an audience is not an exact science. It's really hard. Morgan it's and really Lynn, hard. It's really hard. Morgan and Lynn knew they needed to take some big swings to get people excited about the Fast and Furious universe again. So they took everything that audiences loved and made sure to give it to them with a little extra. The new film would have more drama, more action sequences, more Vin Diesel, and more international locations for multicultural appeal. Fast and Furious, with no thes, as it was being called, would be shot in Los Angeles. The Dominican Republic. DR, baby. Yeah, okay. And Panama. Hell yeah, Panama. Just a Panama. I used to be on a Herald team called Panama. Panama. Uh, Harold, uh, for you, those of you that don't know, uh, Harold is a very nerdy Im- improvisational comedy form. People base their lives around it. It's how you pay to have friends. <laughs> Move to Los Angeles. It right. would involve Toretto and O'Connor teaming up to fight drug cartels after they murdered Toretto's wife, Letty, played by Michelle Rodriguez, star of SWAT. Yeah. 
This is when he goes and there's a crash scene and he like wipes the street with his finger and yeah. looks at it. He goes, oh, nitro meth. Yeah, and then at the end of the movie, he goes, nitro meth is for pussies. Yeah. Only <laughs> pussies run nitro meth. And then he kills a guy yeah. and then calls him a pussy. <laughs> pussy. <laughs> it's the funniest I've ever laughed on camera, I think, when we did a video about that. With the cars scene as less important, this would be the first FNF film where the cars were more superficially modified than the other movies. Instead of spending more money on the authentic imports that Craig Lieberman had helped bring to the table, production would make the cars look like something they weren't really. Overall, the cars had less power and torque and more smoke and mirrors. For example, instead of the rare 1970 Dodge Charger, they used a 69 and built a fake grill and body parts to make it look like a 70. It's like, it's a movie, so, okay. Yeah, I can see that. And instead of using an R34 Nissan Skyline, they used a dune buggy. Oh, no way. And just put a Skyline shell Whoa, on it. Oh, I didn't know that. I want that. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, when's that going to show up on cars and looks of an R34 without any of the performance. That's crazy. Yeah, I, I want one of those. <laughs> It wasn't ideal, but the production was becoming more expensive with so many location changes and not to mention uh, actor salaries. So corners had to be cut. Fast and Furious with no thes <laughs> opened in theaters <laughs> on April 3rd, 2009. With the future of the franchise on the line, it received a brutal response from critics. But so had all the other movies. Yeah. But again, critics had never really been generous towards the Fast and Furious to begin with. What mattered were the ticket sales, the money, honey. the butts in the seats and the popcorn. And put them stinky little butts in them seats. <laughs> There's a theater near, next to my house that I is seven dollars for a movie, which is insane. Oh. But I'm always scared I'm gonna sit on a needle. <laughs> And the ticket sales were very, very good. Opening weekend, Fast and Furious with no thes made $70 million, almost its entire budget. It'd go on to gross $360 million, making it the highest grossing movie in the franchise so far. The analytic magic had worked and swung momentum back in the other direction. The foundation of the formula was sound. Now, all they had to do was step on the gas. It's so funny that the studio probably credited like this market research yeah. and analytics yeah. and stuff when it's just like following the basic like human desire of being like, I want to see characters that I like. Yeah, I want to yeah. see the guys that I'm invested in yeah. like, do other stuff. This is something that bean counters are never going to understand. Don't well, understand. Really, I mean, dude, I mean, people who, we all know this now, but like all the people who run like all the major studios, they're all finance people now. They're all business people. They're not... They didn't come up making film. Yeah. They came up financing shit. And, like, they don't have a human view of, like, the audience. It's mm -hmm. all dollar signs. It's all dollar signs. Literally, they just sit in their room and count beans all day. <laughs> I think. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. The Fast and Furious was now officially and unapologetically an over-the-top action franchise. There were cars, sure, but there are also guns, planes, <laughs> bombs and impossible stunts in 2011 then universal pictures head adam fogelson told deadline as much saying quote the question putting <laughs> together fast five was can we take it out of being a pure car culture movie and into being a true action franchise <laughs> if these movies were still about street racing there's probably a ceiling on how many people would buy tickets <laughs> oh, that drip. <laughs> you get back in that cage. <laughs> and just to make sure there's no confusion about what genre this would be moving forward, Universal added the fastest rising action star in the country to the cast, one Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Drain The Rock. Drain The Rock. <laughs> With a budget swelling to 125 million bones, the producers decided to take advantage of the franchise's growing popularity in South America and set Fast Five in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. This is when he has the Hakusoka mm -hmm. skyline, right? Is it? it? Just for like the first shot when he's driving through Rio. I think you're probably right. Six and seven and eight kind of blend together for me, but five is the one with the bank heist at the end where they have the chargers pulling the vault through the city. Which was it. a real stunt they did. It, it wasn't well, like, the, you know, like the, a full vault, but it well, had a car. The vault was a car. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty sick. 
Anyway, Chris Morgan's third script was a web of thick plot strings that read as stranger than fiction, even though it was fiction. Diesel's Toretto is on his way to prison when he's busted out by Brian and Mia. They fly down to Brazil, get captured, escape, and get blamed for the death of DEA agents, and also discover a way to rob a crime lord of $100 million. Dwayne Johnson's character, Luke Hobbs, is an American special law enforcement agent sent to capture and arrest Toretto and O'Connor. It's like he's like a special agent cop. Guy, yeah. 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 If you want to catch a wolf, you got to be a wolf. You got to eat a wolf yeah. and catch a wolf. Let's get go get yeah. groceries, baby. So put, put your, on your thunderwear, yeah, ladies. Let's go. Let's pull go. Up your thunderwear, man. <laughs> <laughs> After arresting them, some things that happen lead them to pull off the heist together. Wow. Yeah. What I a, love. It actually is a pretty good movie. The gymnastics they have the one to with do. The tunnel, right? That's the fourth one. I love yeah. the the like insane work they have to do to justify them working together in every movie. Yeah. Where it's like, you can't get out of this unless you work with me. Yeah. <laughs> While the silly plot probably wouldn't be encouraged in a USC screenwriting class, it was all very <laughs> intentional. They were leaning into the Fast and Furious's new identity as an over-the-top action franchises. And you know what? It crushed. Crushed uh, at the box office. Yes. While earnestly or ironically, people love Fast Five. It crushed like the people's elbow. Yeah. Pulled in $626 million bucks, double what the last film made. And this time it did well with the critics too, receiving its highest Rotten Tomato grade at 78%. It's a, it's a, it's good, a good movie. I like well, this one. Rotten Tomatoes is people, like not critics. No, no. Rotten Tomatoes is... Well, There's it's like Metacritic. There's a critic a, score uh, audience and score. audience score. Audience score is always higher than critics usually. Well, it depends, but good. 78%. Yeah, if it's a good movie, then the audience score And that is doesn't high. mean that it's like a 78% out of 100%. It's like 78% of critics gave it a favorable review. This video is brought to you by Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes. Get certified fresh with code PASTGAS at checkout. <laughs> I don't know what the hell you're buying, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody loved the grandiosity of it all. Plus, it had some really cool, memorable cars, like a 66 Chevy Corvette Stingray. Oh, yeah, that weird silver one. that It's like a oh, roadster. Yeah, they stole off the train. Yeah. Oh. A 65 Ford GT40, also on the train. Yeah. And a 2010 Koenigsegg CCXR. I love those Koenigsegg. Uh, cool. I know. It's one of my favorite cars that I have. <laughs> <laughs> one of many. Fast Five was the true turning point for the franchise. It would elevate Fast and Furious to a rarefied status in the Hollywood blockbuster hierarchy, a billion-dollar property. Dude, I remember when I got my first billion-dollar property. Yeah? Yeah. I bought Edwards Air Force Base. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know if there's many properties that could be a billion dollars. Yeah, but Edwards yeah. is pretty, yeah. pretty expensive. Yeah. A lot to run, too. Yeah. yeah. You got a lot Personnel. on your plate. Big staff. Yeah. Yeah. After starting off as a niche story in a hipster magazine, nobody could have ever predicted this kind of payout on Universal's initial modest investment. I and now call there's a freaking Vibe a hipster magazine. I don't know. I don't remember. I don't Vibe even, was I like don't a culture what, magazine. I don't know what a magazine is. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? Hollywood took notice. Studios in the movie business are like children in a classroom, constantly peeking at each other's papers, desperate for the answers. The answer that interested Hollywood the most was Fast Five's multicultural cast. They're like, oh, no. we were thinking that a cast of only white people would uh, do well. Did you know people come in different colors? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. It's no well, secret. And some women have jobs. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? Like uh, baby raisers? No. Big jobs. <laughs> It's no secret that since its inception in the early 20th century, the movie industry has been primarily white. For decades, racial biases and a misguided belief that there was no market for diversity kept a lot of talented people of color off the big screen, particularly in big, expensive blockbusters. Fast and Furious had changed that, and the movie industry was slowly waking up to the potential that a diverse ensemble could offer. But not everybody was happy about the next stage of success. Some car enthusiasts who were on board from the beginning felt betrayed. No, car enthusiasts getting all butthurt because someone changed something? <laughs> <laughs> These were the fans who believed the cars were the stars. They came out because they believed there was finally a movie that would put a spotlight on their world. Yeah. And then they scattered like cockroaches. <laughs> wrote about it on Reddit. <laughs> but if they didn't like Fast Five because of its pivot into action, then they were going to hate what was going to come next. Because the franchise was now as much about cars as the Godfather was about expensive suits and a cannoli. 
There is a very famous cannoli line. I know, but it's not about the cannoli, though. Leave the gun. Take Take the the cannoli. cannoli. Right. I mean, the whole movie's not about cannoli. Right. It's a pretty, it's a pretty accurate statement because, like, the movie has cannoli in it. Yeah. But it's not about cannoli, just like the new Fast movies have cars cars, in them. Right. They're not about cars. It's very accurate. It's a great analogy. Okay. And your read was amazing. (laughs) Okay. Okay. My all man. the bean counters in the Godfather. Oh, room all the bean looking counter. at a computer screen that had a cannoli. You got to cut the garlic with a razor blade. I know that's gar- uh, good. That's good. That's good, fellas. Because okay. it just melts when you cook it. Yeah, but but when they went to the mattresses in the Godfather, the one guy makes the pasta sauce and it looks really good. We'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Fast and Furious 6, or FNF, was to become a heist franchise in the mold of The Italian Job, or Ocean's Eleven, starring my best friend, George Clooney, Ooh. and Bradley Pitt. They, <laughs> they, yeah, um, we don't like it because we think it's a little trick, but they call us the new rat back. <laughs> Bradley Pitt. Bradley Pitt, me, George Clooney, Bradley Cooper, we hang out with Drake. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Universal Chairman Adam Fogelson said, The question putting Fast Five and Fast Six together for us was, we take it out of being a pure car culture movie and into being a true action franchise in the spirit of those great heist films made 10 or 15 years ago. (laughs) What's what's Adam doing? Dude, he's going to have a heart attack. Taking place in Tokyo, London, and the Canary Islands. As well as Los Angeles, shooting was plagued by last-minute and expensive location changes, failed stunt sequences, and a blown-out knee for Paul Walker. Oh, you need your knee for the gas pedal. Yeah, you need your knee. Sounds like your typical season of high-low. Sounds like high. Sounds like your regular old high-low. We blew up seven <laughs> engines. I totaled a car, and then on the final day, we blew a transmission. Check it out. It would take Walker months to recover, which obviously stalled filming because he's the star. As a result, the budget ballooned up to $260 million. That's when a lot of beans. When, that yeah, reminds me. Avatar, the new Avatar movie, has to be the fifth most successful movie of all time to break even. Yeah, it's got to make $2 billion just to break even. I tried to watch the first Avatar a couple. It's bad. It's so dumb. I see you. Yeah. <laughs> it's so dumb. Henry, it's one of our producers, has been trying to connect his hair to other people. Uh, in the Avatar <laughs> style, and no one has t- done it yet. <laughs> However, at this point, nothing could stop this street racing turned action movie, turned heist movie franchise, turned spy movie, turned event, spy yeah. movie, turned 
superhero. Like he stomped. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, at one point he becomes a superhero because yeah. he kicks down a parking garage. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> streets always win. Streets are when you fight the streets. The streets always win. <laughs> Yeah, in the street fight. Hey, Vin, could you take the marbles out of your mouth before the next take? Oh, I'm sorry. Hey, we need. <laughs> Don't forget about the stepchildren. It was unapologetic in its embrace of over the top plots and action sequences that defied the laws of physics. In one scene, Toretto drives his Dodge Charger out of an exploding airplane right before it crashes and then lands it and drives it. <laughs> Clearly, Fast and Furious 6 gave the people what they wanted. A massive, diverse audience flocked to see it when it opened May 7th, 2013, the day I was born. It earned $117 million its opening weekend, the fourth biggest Memorial Day weekend opening ever. The film went on to make $789 million worldwide, becoming the fourth highest grossing film in Universal Studios' 100-year history. Whoa. Yeah, the one just uh, in going. front of that is uh, Blast from the Past. The Brandon Fraser view? Yeah. <laughs> there wasn't much time to celebrate. Wanting to capitalize on its popularity and make as much money as possible, Universal pushed for a 2014 release date for the seventh film. Seven Movies, guys. In seven, seven movies in thirteen years. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Seventh gear. There's <laughs> gear. Things were moving too quickly for the longest tenured director, Justin Lin. He felt that rushing to shoot Furious Seven, as it was called, was going to have a negative effect on the quality. <laughs> He'd have to start pre-production for Seven while doing post-production on Six. So post-production oh, is happening. After fighting with the studio and failing to delay the shoot, Lin left. Although he'd later say he always planned to leave after the sixth movie. Lynn was replaced by James Wan, a director known primarily for horror movies like Saw Hell and yeah. The Conjuring. I love James Wan. Yeah. He's a, he has a lot of great movies. I bet you like The Conjuring, huh? Conjuring, Conjuring 1 and 2 are so I good. I love Conjuring. Oh my God. Mm. I hope you guys are keeping a list of all the movies that you should watch. Because <laughs> we're mentioning a lot of them. Yeah, uh, sorry about that. I'm watching Bubble Boy tonight. <laughs> By now, the cast was filled out with big-name international stars. On top of leads like Diesel and Walker, there was also Drain the Rock, <laughs> Ludacris, Michelle Rodriguez was back, Jason Statemans, <laughs> Kurt Russell's on board, Love Kurt Russell. Kurt Ronda Rush. Rousey, Oh yeah, I forgot yeah. and Tony Ja. Who's Tony Ja? Tony Jaw is from Ongbok. Ongbok, dude, he oh, can yeah. he can bicycle kick uh, like twelve feet high. It's insane, dude. That's that's like three feet higher than me. <laughs> <laughs> a part of the expectation for the franchise was that each movie had to be more extra than the previous one. Furious Seven, with a two hundred fifty million dollar budget, would take place in L.A., Tokyo, Dubai, the Caucasus Mountains, Abu Dhabi, and the Dominican Republic. Dior. Dior. <laughs> it involved over 300 cars, including a $2.5 million, 1,200 horsepower Bugatti Veyron and four classic Dodge Chargers. What color is your Bugatti? Mine is white on white. That's hard to maintain. <laughs> on white. I have my staff do it. Oh, at the Air Force Base? Yeah. <laughs> at Edwards, yeah. They're like, we're usually working on planes, but I guess... <laughs> Oh, yes, this thing's pretty sick. It's kind of like a jet full of the ground. <laughs> <laughs> the plot centered around a British MI6 assassin coming after the FNF team. Everything was in place for this to be the biggest and most successful film of the franchise until the truly unexpected happened. On November 30th, 2013, the franchise and its fans were hit with a devastating tragedy. During Thanksgiving break, Paul Walker died in a single vehicle accident while leaving a charity event in Santa Clarita. He was only 40 years old. After news of the tragedy spread around the world, Universal announced that filming for the franchise would be postponed indefinitely. Fans assumed that this would be the end, as they couldn't imagine Fast and Furious without Paul Walker's beloved Brian O'Connor. Walker was the heart of the films, as well as a gracious star who loved his fans and talking cars. He had a great car collection his brother came to my birthday party and uh i have his account you have the same account i have the same Cody account walker? as paul walker oh 
he was one of the only actors on the FNF set that was truly beloved by the entire cast and crew. And he was like a legitimate car enthusiast and responsible for a lot of the authenticity being carried on throughout the uh, franchise. Way more liked than uh, Tyrese, which I heard is never Tyrese took a dick? any. Well, he he never him and Ludacris always butted heads because Ludacris is like all business. Uh-huh. He's like, let's get the scene, whatever. Tyrese was a joker and would delay filming because of onset antics. Yeah, that's hmm. cool. I've never heard of anyone doing that. <laughs> that's my job. <laughs> I know. That's what I do. I'm not saying it's bad. I think Tyrese needs, you know, yeah. needed to bring levity yeah, to I the set. I think Ludacris needs to chill out a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Ludacris is an awesome rapper, though. I love Luda. Throw them bows. <laughs> After a brief mourning period, Universal had to figure out what to do with its billion-dollar property. The decision was made to continue forward, but delay the release date. They would need to find a classy way to retire Paul Walker's character and eventually dedicated the film to him. However... The movie was only halfway finished, and for it to make narrative sense, they were going to have to get very clever. The solution was to use body doubles to finish filming his scenes. Walker's two brothers, Caleb and Cody, who looked just like him, uh, were brought in, which has to be so weird. Yeah. Basically, one of the brothers would play Brian O'Connor in a scene, and then the production team hired director Peter Jackson's Weta Visual CGI technology to superimpose unused footage of Walker to make them look and sound even more like him. Uh, basically what they did f- for the twins in uh, Social Network. Oh, the Winklevoss. Oh, the Winklevoss. My friend Josh was the body double. That's crazy. The twin. They're going to say the twins in the Matrix Reloaded. <laughs> <laughs> Your mind always goes to Matrix Reloaded. It's the best. I mean, it's good. It's not the best one. But Weta, was famous for, <laughs> Weta, was, Weta was famous for creating the Gollum creature in Lord of the Rings. Hmm. The death of Paul Walker ultimately delayed the release date for almost an entire year. The anticipation and curiosity surrounding how exactly the film would justify Walker's death sent people to the movie theaters in record numbers. Dude, it was so packed. We went opening weekend. We had to get the front row seats. We were just like looking up at the screen like that. Yeah. Just the The tears coming out of your eyes, going back into your eyes because you're looking (laughs) straight up. Yeah. It was packed. Furious 7 was released on April 3rd, 2015, and became the fastest and most furious movie in history to earn $1 billion Whoa. at the box office. It took 17 days. That's unreal, Damn. dude. The film became the sixth highest grossing movie of all time and the second highest universal film. Right behind uh, Notting Hill. Christina, <laughs> Christina goes to great lengths so that James doesn't have to read Deaths. And I know that she formulated this script so that, you know, counting out that, oh, James isn't going to have to read this paragraph. Uh-huh. James just steamrolled right through. Well, my, my last <laughs> section was short. I get bored when Nolan reads. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> the reviews for Furious 7 were glowing. 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. Highest of all the FNF movies. Which hmm. is also like a low B. Strange. Audiences and critics overwhelmingly approved of the way that Walker and his character were treated. It was a move that would garner good faith from the fans moving forward. Yeah, it wasn't... It was a little hokey. Okay. A little heavy-handed with the metaphor, with a, you know, fork in the road. But I think it was handled well. Yeah, I think so. Surprisingly. Yeah. Yeah. And great song by Wiz Khalifa. Yeah, the whole scene with them at the beach, and then Paul's like, let's go drive. Yeah. He doesn't say anything, but he like motions and then yeah. Vin or like super like behind. an angel. He's got the Supra, yep. Yeah. My family's good on the beach for a couple hours. Let's go on a drive. Yeah. Oh, f- shit. I left my family on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> They're probably pretty cold. <laughs> Paul Walker's death had taken an exhausting emotional toll on James Wan. He requested to be released from his contract so he could relax and work on The Conjuring Part 2. At the same time, producer Neil Moritz announced that the plan was to move forward and do 10 total movies, so they would need a new director. The star stacking continued as the studio cast both Charlize Theron and Dame <laughs> Helen Mirren. Oh my god, Charlize is dreadlocks. Oh and my her name god. is Cypher. Yeah, Cypher. So and then she got a bowl cut. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Two of the worst. She looks like all of, her, all of her heart. Uh, <laughs> Oliver Tree. Oliver Tree. Oliver yeah. Tree. <laughs> yeah, she looks like Oliver Tree. There was 
early talk of inviting Cody Walker, Paul's younger brother, to Shelly a prize. Stan seems like she's really fun to hang out with. She her. seems cool as hell. Yeah. I yeah. think she's like down with whatever. Yeah. yeah. She's cool as hell. There was early talk of inviting Cody Walker, Paul's younger brother, to reprise the role of Brian O'Connor, but ultimately decided against it for now. That would be like that a weird thing, so weird. weird thing to do. Apparently, there was a phone call that Vin Diesel had with Cody about bringing Paul Walker's character back in the future somehow, but only if the family was okay with it. That'd I be mean, weird. People die in these movies all the time, and they bring them back. Yeah, but they don't actually die in real life. Yeah, but he, he's, he's, yeah, he's dead. He's, let him lie. Yeah. The next director brought in was F. Gary Gray. Famous, F. Gary Gray. F. Gary Gray, <laughs> famous for directing the original Friday movie, as well as exciting thrillers like The Negotiator and The Italian Job with Marky Mark, the latter of which gave him experience working with car chase scenes. Yeah, Italian Job has a sick car chase scene. Yeah. With the new director on board, the decision was made once again to switch genres. Instead of a heist film, it was now going to be a spy caper. Charlie Theron would be a cyber terrorist named Cypher, who lures Dom Toretto into working for her in stealing a nuclear football in New York. The way that she does it, too, is like she just pops her hood in Cuba, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just waits for him to be like, you need help? Yeah, on her, like, her old Land Rover. Yeah. yeah. And then she like knocks him out or something. By now, the audience was in on the absurdity of the plot, and it become a part of the fun of anticipating the next movie. I don't know if it's really part of the fun for me. I think it's like, uh, what are they going to do now? Shooting on location in Havana brought with it the opportunity to showcase some cool antique cars. And as a result of the decades-long embargo, many Cuban people drive old cars from the 50s and 60s. There is a 1950s Chevy Fleetline, a menacing-looking 56 Crown Victoria, a Cherry Red 61 Impala, and, of course, another 68 Dodge Charger. The ice one. The ice one that drives so on they, the snow. They change. They ch- uh, chase the submarine. Yeah, doesn't yeah. Vin Diesel like knock, like he punches a submarine in it? Yeah, uh, he like roundhouses the the a submarine in like the tower and it flips and around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's cool. Opening weekend in the movie industry is the top metric by which studios measure the potential or overall success of a movie. And at the time, the Fate of the Furious had the biggest opening weekend in history. At Fate with an eight, F eight, <laughs> with five hundred forty one point nine wow. million dollars opening weekend. Holy shnikes! That's more in one weekend than the first two movies ever made combined. Wow. That's huge. That's a lot of money. That's a lot. (laughs) Dude, if you think about it, that's a lot of money. (laughs) After making a total of $1.2 billion, Fate felt like another milestone. The Fast and Furious franchise, which was once on the brink of extinction, had become the seventh largest property in the history of cinema just below Batman. (laughs) Where's the Batman? On top of that, it was now also the most successful franchise in history to have a diverse cast. Yeah, yeah. because Batman's white as hell. Yeah. Yeah. So is the Joker, but that's because he fell in a vat of chemicals. No, he was white before that. Dude, if I saw, if there's a real Batman I saw him out, I'd kick his ass. You think so? Yeah. Cool. You quit trying to be a cop. Yeah. Like, go on vacation. You have a lot of money. Yeah, go and make, yeah. just be normal. Or just like spend some of the billions of dollars on philanthropical stuff instead of your. Yeah, quit going out and just doing karate to like one or two guys. Yeah. And <laughs> like just maybe like. Yeah. Fix your city with money. Yeah. Yeah, fix the city, man. Come on. Fix the freaking city or move somewhere else. Come you know what on, causes Bruce, crime? Bruce, will you just chill out? Yeah, you know what causes crime is poverty and lack of access to, like, services. So how yeah. about you help fund those services instead of using that money to build little toys that you use to beat up yeah. Yeah. people that you're, have you're no money. You're creating an endless cycle because the guy that you beat up also has a kid, which is the same situation that you were yeah. in. and you're going to yeah. beat the sh- He doesn't have insurance. He doesn't yeah. have insurance. beating the shit out of him. Yeah, Batman. He's stealing bread. Anyway, why did you kill him? Yeah, Arkham City, great game. Dude, Love the I Arkham to, series. I was in Switzerland, and... Everyone's hot. <laughs> What's yeah. that have to do with yeah, anything? The, because they're not scared. Like, there's a real sense of, like, it made me very aware that, like, a lot of Americans are just like, well, I hope nothing bad happens to me and I die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I can't afford to not die. Yeah. Anyway, we're a bunch of libtards. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors.
after Walker passed, Vin Diesel and Drain the Rock Johnson <laughs> were on the top of the credits. At first, they both agreed to return to film the ninth movie. But soon after, Johnson received another opportunity that interested him more. All right, Drain. You're going to be in the jungle and you're going to be wearing some safari clothes and you're going to have to beat up an alligator. That's like six of his movies. Jumanji's yeah, pretty Jumanji damn good. Jumanji is a good movie. That's dude. a really good one. Jack Black's so funny. He's hilarious. Jack Black's yeah. my... Oh, I love Jack Black. I love when characters can embody... Like, you know, like, he's a hot girl trapped yeah. in a f- schlubby body. Yeah. And it, it really comes through. Yeah. He's so good. Chris Morgan, the long-tenured writer for Fast and Furious, was branching off to write a spinoff based around Johnson and Statham's characters called Hobbs and Shaw. So Johnson backed out of F9. But Hobbs and Shaw wasn't the only reason he left. After all, most people will find some room in their schedule to squeeze in two movies that each pay $20 million. The other half of the story is Drain the Rock and Vin Diesel hated each other. Or at least The Rock hated Diesel. After F8, The Rock posted on Instagram, perhaps after a few too many Terramana tequilas Mm. and maybe a big old stack of peanut butter French toast. It's a cheat day. (laughs) (laughs) He wrote, there's no other franchise that gets my blood boiling more than this one. My female co-stars are always amazing and I love them. My male co-stars, however, are a different story. Some conduct themselves as stand-up men and true professionals, while others don't. The ones that don't are too chicken shit to do anything about it anyway. Candy asses. When you watch this movie next April and it seems like I'm not acting in some of these scenes and my blood is legit boiling, you're right. They're jabronis. Finally, The Rock has finished this Instagram post. <laughs> I guarantee, like, I I bet he got along with Ludacris, but Tyrese and Vin were like probably getting on his nerves. Yeah, probably. Duroc is a professional. Yeah, he shows up to work. He's got a lot of stuff to do. He's got a lot of, yeah, so much stuff to do. <laughs> I am so tired of the Rock. Him and Ryan Reynolds should just go on a three-year vacation together. Dude, uh, the Will Ferrell Ryan Reynolds Christmas I heard movie it's horrible. Was just I wanted to die. <laughs> I'm going to check it out. <laughs> <laughs> Although the, I used to love The Rock. Like my Instagram uh, bio is the most electrifying man in automotive entertainment. And that is The Rock used to say that. He used to say the most electrifying man in sports entertainment. So I loved The Rock, but I'm so sick of him. Now, even though The Rock tried to downplay the post the next day, it was too late. The internet took over and everybody knew that he and Diesel was a feudin'. Word started to spread that things were so bad between them on Fate of the Furious that they couldn't even shoot their scenes together. Then Vin Diesel decided to try to publicly (laughs) clear the air. Hell yeah. Uh, There we go. He referred to The Rock as his little brother. Oh, that's a first misstep. (laughs) But also called him Uncle Dwayne. He's like my brother, but also my uncle. And he's tiny, but he's huge. (laughs) Uh, He claimed that he had to give The Rock, quote, tough love on set to get a better performance out of him. The Rock, in return, clarified that Diesel is not his brother. (laughs) And that when he read the, quote, bullshit that Diesel claimed, he laughed and laughed and laughed. (laughs) Um, I heard that it was in their contracts. So, like, this is the one with, like, the big escape scene from jail. I heard that it was in all of their contracts that they both had to thr- throw and land as me- like the same amount yeah, of punches. And that yeah. neither one could win, and right? And neither yeah. one could win. So yeah. like they if you watch that scene, they they throw and land the exact same number of punches yeah. because they're equal. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's a long standing thing with a lot of uh like action stars. I've read similar things about Sylvester Stallone and Seagal. Dude, Sylvester Stallone gets punched a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's like his whole thing. He's punched. But like you look at like the expendables, it's like the same way. God, the expendables must have been a nightmare. Oh my oh god. god. Yeah. Ten huge egos. Yeah. Uh to this day, uh they both remain cagey about the source of the beef. The world still isn't completely sure why two middle-aged, bald, muscular, wealthy men known for performative masculinity struggle to get along. 
They're, they're big old beefy guys. I'm not bigger. He's not bigger than me. I'm bigger than him. I got to throw as many punches as him. I got to do what he think he throw more punches than me. I throw more punches than him. I'm going to take him off the top of rope. <laughs> so the ninth installment of the franchise was going to need to find a new way to replace the rock. That's when they called me. But... <laughs> I had to shoot him up to speed, so. <laughs> While Justin Lin was back to direct, this would be the first movie since Tokyo Drift that wouldn't be written by Chris Morgan. Instead, Universal hired Daniel Casey, a little-known but talented writer, to take over the script. Helen Mirren, Kurt Russell, and Charlize Theron returned. And since The Rock was out, a different wrestler, John Cena, was brought in. John Cena rules. He would play a master thief and assassin who also happens to be Toretto's long-lost brother. They don't look alike. Was no. this no? They don't. Was this an intentional slight to the Rock to make Cena his brother? It remains a mystery. This one bugs me because the, he was also his uncle. The actor that they got to play, young Dom, they only hired him because of his voice. Oh, he really? doesn't look like Dom at all. What he I just would, can do the voice. I would, if I was an older actor and executive producer on a movie, I would definitely choose like a really good-looking young actor to play young me. Yeah, very mm -hmm. flattering. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, me and Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. 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 A lot in common. Yeah, Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. yeah, who would I choose to play young me? Probably I would do Jimmy. Jimmy. Yeah. yeah. Jimmy Hilton. Anyway, but F9 has put the franchise in a position it hasn't experienced in quite a while. For the first time since Tokyo Drift, a Fast and Furious movie failed to make more money than the previous one. It's because it no one could see Cena. Yeah. <laughs> it only made $700 million, which is a ridiculous gripe to have. But in the movie business, it's what ultimately matters. And $700 million was $500 million less than the last movie. Yeah. That's substantial enough to worry about it, audience fatigue. Yeah, I'll say you made 10 movies. Yeah. yeah. So but also, we don't I, even know any of them apart. Also, I, why do you keep using yeah. that same writer? It just looks like he threw a, a bunch of darts at a word yeah. board. I think this was also coinciding with the death of DVD sales. The 10th Fast and Furious movie titled Fast X because X is a Roman numeral. Should have been Fast 10 Year Seatbelts. Oh, dude, it should have been. It's sick. Fast 10 is currently in production with a release set for the summer of 2023. Oh, sweet. We don't have to wait that long. Yeah. It has a $300 million budget, almost 10 times more than the budget for the original movie. It's the first of two final movies planned. I guess they're going for 11. What? Which might be a good thing. I don't know. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of signs that things are on the verge of unraveling. Well, uh, see, there's a lot of horcruxes they need to destroy <laughs> before Vin Diesel is defeated. Well, I mean, the final Fast and Furious book is like really long. Yeah. So they've got to split it up. Super it took George R. R. Martin seven <laughs> years to write. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> After agreeing to come back and direct, Justin Lin recently stepped down from the role of director and was replaced by Louis Leterrier. Hmm. Filming in Los Angeles has been shut down multiple times because of protests and complaints from residents over the loud noises. Mm. And Vin Diesel recently tried to guilt trip The Rock into returning, as yeah. we covered in the intro. He went on a talk show and pleaded with Johnson to do it for Paul Walker and Johnson's own children. That's low. Something that, once again, The Rock thought was weird. <laughs> <laughs> of course, all things must come to an end. Even one of the most successful franchises in Hollywood history. Now, there's no predicting how Fast X will be received, but one thing that is for sure is that the cars will continue to take a back seat and that Ludacris will be say oh, you some... you Tej? Tej will say some funny funny jokes yeah tyrese will say some funny tyrese stuff. will mispronounce something and it'll somehow make the cut <laughs> universal studios buying a low-risk investment that turned into the eighth biggest franchise in movie history is undeniably a success story it's eighth biggest what's bigger than that star wars star marvel wars sure. harry potter yeah uh trolls <laughs> <laughs> finding uh it's run for two decades, made more money than the GDP of 45 countries. <laughs> what? They need to step it up. <laughs> and, and elevated the careers and profiles of so many people. It's a massive achievement. Perhaps a more interesting lens to examine the impact of Fast and Furious is a cultural one. 
There is probably no greater or more important impact that the franchise had than providing the world with proof that diverse and multicultural ensembles don't have to be relegated to just niche independent films. They can also be the driving force of a blockbuster. Nice. Despite what many believe, Hollywood is stingy, conservative, and very slow to change. After Fast and Furious, Hollywood studios have been much more eager to churn out diverse movies and give them large marketing budgets and advantageous release dates. Perhaps that can be traced back to the success of the Fast and Furious franchise. I think that's a good product. I mean, as hokey as the movies are, I think that is a I good, think so too. good thing that I happened. support diversity in movies. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to go on a record. I just want to go on a record. <laughs> yeah. I think it's good. <laughs> Yeah, one thing uh, that wasn't mentioned in the script is that these movies are huge in China, which is historically a big market for movies. And I think it's cool that they were able to infiltrate that and infiltrate have it be successful. Uh, we've got some fan mail. Yeah. Uh, Cameron Markley writes, Hey, crew, love the podcast and look forward to it every week. Love to hear that another car guy is getting into disc golf. <laughs> Hell yeah. No Two way. car guys. Yeah. Uh, would love to hear more about how that's coming along. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's talk disc. It, it sure is a process. Joe and Nolan are both very into disc golf. <laughs> As a car nerd, hearing your encouraging words about engineering has helped me through my schooling so far. Thank you. Oh, glad we could help, Cameron. Thanks, Cameron. I love hearing stuff like that. As a matter of fact, Joe actually gave me a disc today. Wow. That's <laughs> uh, this is the, the MVP Volt. It's a fairway driver. Really looking forward to trying this thing out. Joe and I played very recently, uh, uh, like two weeks ago, and we had a great game. Joe beat my ass pretty soundly, but I tied Job, which I'm very excited yeah, about. Job was coming in Who hot. Who had never played before, no, Job plays. Job plays. He played, and he's like very competitive. He's super good. It. Yeah, I tied. Right. Anyway, it's been going great. Thank you for your email, Cameron. If you would like to hit us up, um, Reach out at passgas at donutmedia.com. Maybe we'll read your email on air. Thanks for listening. Uh, leave us a review. Tell your friends about us if you liked this thing. Word of mouth is really how these things are spread. Follow Nolan at Nolan J. Sykes across social media. Joe at Joe G. Weber and me at James Pumphrey. And uh, if you don't know already, we do have a YouTube channel, Donut Media. We upload videos all the time. Uh, we have another podcast called Donut Racing Show and another new one coming out called The Long Way. We also make clothes, so go to DonutMedia.com and uh, pick some of that stuff up. So lots of stuff. We do lots of stuff. We're very busy. Yes. Very Promo busy. God over here. Promo God. Thank you to our producers this week, Christina Felsky and Gavin Kinzel, as well as our writer, James Mastriani. You crushed it. All right. See you next time. Hey, Mia, you better hide your baby all. I'm just playing. You better hide that big ass forehead. <laughs>